One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I went to the wrong funeral this morning. Good man. <laughs> I'm sure they were glad to see you anyway. <laughs> but Pat, Pat Gilroy's mother died, and you know, Pat and me were in Cindy together. The man who sort of laid the foundations yeah. for Jim Gavin's sort of triumphant Dublin era. And going to the graveside afterwards, we brought Keith Doyle with us. You know, he's a St. Vinnie's man. He says, It's a million percent up here, Joe, you know, up the left, you know, which is. So it's about two more, two more miles up here, you know, just before Baldoyle, you know. So in we go to the cemetery, parked all the way, in we go, and we're up, and I start shaking hands, and I can see people thinking, what the fuck is he doing here? We'd come, we'd come to the wrong funeral. And did you, did you, did you style it out? Like, did you... No, 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 we left. And, but the reason I say is that I ran into, at the wake and then at the mass this morning, Ran into, you know, all, you know, it was a who's who of the great Dublin footballers, you know. But Michael Darrow was there and Ono Gara and the Brogans and all that. And they're very, you know, they're great lads. And Michael Darrow is a very special human being. He exudes a, a force field. Uh, you know, he's, he's totally unspoiled by the world. Hmm. He's got more energy than any human being should have. I think he was born, you know, like, do you remember the Asterix and Obelix books? Yeah. Where um, Obelix fell into the, the magic potion when he was a baby. And so he had this huge energy, this huge yeah. strength. Whereas the other villagers had to just make do with a spoonful every morning mm. from the druid. But Michael Dara is like someone who fell into magic potion when he was a child. I, I um, was walking down Stephen's Green one day and the next thing I got this shout, Joe, Jesus, Joe. He was driving on, a, on one of those Dublin bicycles. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, uh, I'm driving around Stephen's Green. I said, how many times have you driven around? He said, 14 already. I said, why are you doing that? He says, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> and he, this, morning at the, this morning at the funeral, me and Oro Gara, Michael was in front of us in his perpetual motion. When he, went, when he shook hands with me, he almost headbutted me. And he's, <laughs> he stretches back and he stre- he'll, he'll take a line of an umbrella. He, when he's out in your company, he'll knock over a pint. Very unselfconsciously, you know. And uh, I mean, in a tremendous specimen. And Ogara says, oh, fuck, he says, you're unbelievable. He says, like, he says you know, um, he, uh, before matches, whenever Pat started off with Dublin, 
he would get so nervous that he couldn't swallow his food. He says, you know, one time he says, he missed the championship match because he got a meatball stuck in his throat. <laughs> said, You've got to be doing that. I'm fucking serious. He says, he got a fucking meatball stuck in his throat. He says, so, sort of feed him comp plan, you know, like a sort of an old age pensioner in the nursing home. And what are those oh, lads like together? That's very easy. Yeah. I think that people from the outside think that when people are enormously successful, that you know that you could almost touch them and something great would happen to you. But for I mean, I was thinking about this, like somebody like Tyson Fury, for example, six foot ten, probably the greatest heavyweight that's ever fought. Mm. You know, brilliant in every way, game courageous. You know, brilliant technique. Just a this sort of freak. You know, that was that was that was you know born into very humble origins. And here he is, you know, and in the red corner, fighting from London, England, you know, with a perfect professional record of, and stepping through the ropes and the whole world watching, because the heavyweight champion still, you know, in particular, I think there's been a resurgence in the last decade of interest in, because there have been so many great fighters. And then if you asked him, you know, he said, like, you know, how can anybody be so great? He'd be bemused, because it's just what he does. Yeah. You know, it's like Maradona, you know, ask Maradona to explain how he did that, you know. I mean, and who can ever forget in 1986 in the changing room after every game, as he got better and better and as the world became more and more enraptured, his teammates bouncing up and down in the changing room (laughs) with him in the middle of them. Singing the Maradona song, Maradona, he's so brilliant with Maradona, we can't lose. Yeah, and you don't need, but you don't, as a sports person, you don't want to be thinking about it, do you? The less you can think about it in some ways, the better. Yeah, you you would think so. I mean, one of the great sports psychologists was Alex Ferguson. Hmm. You know, because as he famously said, he was asked, you know, why he wasn't interested in statistics and he didn't have a laptop and he didn't have an earpiece during games. He says, son, statistics don't measure character. And he had a feel for players, what was required on the big day. You know, was how he handled Cantona, who was impossible yeah. everywhere that he went. You know, and I suppose in a way impossible in Manchester United. I mean, who Kung, who kung Fu kicks a supporter? <laughs> <You know? laughs> All righty then. But... <laughs> You know, and then you you look at now, you know, every team, every sort of senior club Gaelic team even, some, you know, junior teams have the services of a sports psychologist. And, you know, the very thing that you're talking about, that the game needs to be, or that you would think that, you know, to overthink it is problematic. You know, I suppose at the highest level when you've got I, mean, I was talking to Kevin McMenamin this morning. He's a sports psychologist, and he's working with the IRFU's referees. Yeah, because of the vast pressure that they're under, you know, the huge scrutiny that goes on a, a rugby referee, and um, so there must be. A but they're trying to get them to actually underthink it by thinking about it in a way that they actually don't think about. It. That's the kind of the yeah. trick, isn't it, to yeah. get create a space where you don't think about it? Yeah, he was talking about keep keeping the pressure off yourself. Yeah. I mean, the dubs were the masters at that. I mean, I remember one time, I used to, in the glory days, 
should call it the glory days. Let's call this podcast in the, the glory, glory days. days of, in the glory days of my head, you know, the glamorous brunette calls me Donald Trump. You know, she so look in the mirror and the more say, God, I can't believe how well you're holding up. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I used to on all our final morning. I had a ritual for twenty years. I would go in. And I would be there when there was no one there and just watch the place come into life on all our final day, you know, the magic of mm. it. And then the same fella used to be stationed on the Dublin dressing room door. So during their era, once they were sort of one All-Ireland, two, three, four, five, you know, he was always stationed there. And I always chatted to him. And he would always give you very interesting tidbits you know, the world was enthralled with that Dublin team and with Jim Gavin in charge. No one knew what was going on in there. I mean, no one knew how this alchemy was working. How, how is this working? How can they overcome every obstacle? How can they play with such magnificence? And particularly when it, when everything is on the line. Yeah. And often when they were behind. And then they thrived. Just yeah. like, what? I mean, this is, and they never broke, you know? Yeah. They, they never lost to the underdog. They always played like the... Like the underdog. So anyway, I says to your man, you know, what, what, what's the change in room like there? And he says, Joey says, like, I mean, he says, the best way to describe it, he said, be like a, be like a board meeting at half time, you know, they're all chatting. <laughs> I says, there ever any, no, no, nobody ever raises his voice, he says, you know, it's, they're just basically just chatting, you know. It's amazing because I do some stuff with Paul Flynn who writes for us at The Currency and he's the same, he talks about that, like the way they broke it down that they never, they never, they always had faith. That and it became really boring in some ways. It was all about the process, all that stuff. But they actually believed it, didn't they? Well, I suppose when you see it all happening in front of your eyes, yeah. you know, they started with Gilroy's improbable promise that they would be All Ireland champions. You know, six weeks in a row, six o'clock in the morning, to see who's prepared to, you know, in Gilroy's sort of immortal phrase. Sacrifice yourself mm. for reasons that you that you're that you're not really sure of, for the good of a cause that you can't really explain. And if you're not prepared to do that, find another pastime. Yeah. You know, and it's this unachievable goal. It's something deeper about your life, about loyalty. I think is probably at the very heart of it. It's not about the winning of the medals. It's, it's much more important than that, much more long-term than that. You know, it's something that can't ever be taken away from you, that idea that when it came to it, you know, when everything else was on the line, this loyalty could not be broken. Hmm. This... It's more than composure, it's something joyous. You're like, you know, what? You know, I was talking to Parik Duffy, the GA president, he was up at the funeral this morning, I was saying, like, we were talking about matches and careers and all that. I've said, like, the funny thing is I only remember the defeats, you know, yeah. where I let the grip down, you know, and we let each other down. And and uh, so it, it's not about the winning because the winning, when you win, you forget about it. It's an anticlimax, right? That's gone, it's out the back. They were all, the, all these people were at the wrong funeral. Amazing. Well, no, this I just went to the graves, the wrong gravesite <laughs> afterwards, like Del Boy Trotter. But the, uh, at last night at the week, Jim Gavin was there. And Jim, you know, since he stopped managing Dublin, he's very ebullient. I mean, he's very, he's, you know, he's like a different person right. almost, you know. He looks terrific and <laughs> he's, 
he's got that glow. And I suppose maybe it's her imagination because of his success. Again, you think, you know, I really should touch the, I should touch his jacket. Like, but eventually Brian Gilroy came over and he says to me and Jim, he says, at this stage, Jim had the, had the memorial card out and he was writing tactics on it for me in the porch of the house. He says, lads, I'm going to have to move you outside. <laughs> this is Brian Passbrook. <laughs> and as far as you could see, it was all Dublin managers, Dublin footballers, past and present. You know, something very special about that community of people. Although I've never been, you know, I've only ever been, I've been to one Leinster rugby match in my life when I was about eight years old. Because I didn't go, like, I, I was, well, my parents were kind of GAA people and I was yeah. soccer. Soccer, soccer. So you, basically your parents weren't able to submit three years of accounts to the Leicester <laughs> or a see <laughs> But anyway, when I was about eight, a friend of ours, a friend of my uh, friend of ours, mine and his dad took us to a, this was years and years ago, this was 30 years ago, before it became a big thing. We went to an Interpro match, Leinster, Munster, but he was from Limerick and we were all supporting Munster, but I was a football man and I was at Lansdowne Road and I think there was only like 300 people there. And uh, and I, you know, I didn't know anything, but like I had been brought up, grown up watching soccer matches and, you know, it was all aggression and uh, taunting. And I was about eight and uh, <laughs> we were in the West Stand in, in Lansdowne Road and the Leinster had a kick. I can't remember who it was, whoever was lining up the kick. And just and total silence. There were only about 300 people there, total silence. And just as he went to take the kick, I just shouted out, Leinster are crap! <laughs> And the whole stand, every sheepskin coat just turned around and looked at me like, you know, I'd sort of, you know, I transgressed in the most. Yes. But everyone could hear it and this eight-year-old kid was... You can't even, you can't even curse with a bit of vigour. Like, it's even polite when you, when, <laughs> when, 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 when you abuse someone. I, I was trying to get into... Crap. I, well, I was eight at the time, yeah. you know. You wouldn't make up with the Millwall fans. No. Well, you know, the, the, I think that we were talking about this. I mean, in 2019, the Leinster rugby team flying home after beating the Glasgow Sharks and triumphant as they were, as they had every right to be on the plane. And they basically, com- <laughs> the, the news reports of the video clip, you know, they commandeered mm. the plane. The masters of the universe, it reminded me a bit of, you know, the famous scene in The Wolf of Wall Street when the boys commandeered the plane, you know, these are the masters of the universe. Yeah. So one of the players takes the microphone, you know, the bing bong, you know, we're experiencing turbulence with all passengers, mm. please take their seats, you know. And he's taking the microphone to lead them in the Celtic Symphony. And uh, so all the team get involved all the chanting, the the flight attendants, according to, according to the news reports, got involved. <laughs> you know what it's like. But they were but they were chanting. Apparently, they were chanting "Ooh, uh, Jack McGrath." Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and again, you know, it's reported as hijinks, as it was, and nothing to see here. And then, the Irish girls, you know, soccer. Widely seen as work, the working class, the Irish girls in their moment of great triumph um, do exactly the same thing. And there's a vicious and sustained humiliation of them. It it destroys celebrations that were once in a lifetime. Yeah. And that, that fortnight can never be returned to them. You know, there's a stain on this. And it was a deliberate 
sustained attack by the establishment, Fine Gael, Fine Fáil. The media here was in the front pages. Fintan O'Toole wrote a gruesome piece talking about uh, up the sort of decapitation of mothers, up the, you know, burying bodies in bogs, you know, dismembered children, you know, slaughtering the girls. Fintan Sheehan from my own paper, The Independent, wrote a very similar piece talking about the gruesome Enniskillen bomb. And, you know, the girls were subjected to, uh, uh, you know, a, a really outrageous widespread bullying. So that Vera Paw, who's, who, who was, you know, she was bemused. She's from Holland. Mm. She was wheeled out to make an apology. Well, they came to out, the to make, yeah, well, they made an apology pretty quickly. And I, and I, I think there's some interesting things there. And I think, you know, there are elements of that that I, uh, that I, I think are right. I do think there's a difference in the context of something. And I agree with you. It was awful what happened in the sense that it ruined this this moment of, of euphoric celebration. For but them. it was more than that. It humiliated. I mean, Vera Paw said, she was asked about the girls, and she said, well, the girl who posted that is it's in her room yeah. weeping. Yeah. She's in her room fucking weeping because of this. And... And then again, we see on the playlist at the Aviva, <laughs> on the playlist at the Aviva, at the end of game, one of the one of the tunes is Celtic Symphony. On New Year's uh, Day. The journalist um, realised that it was being played and said, oh, this is being played. And Leicester said, oh, we're terribly sorry about that. And it was described as a gaffe and that was the end of it. Well, it wasn't really the end. Well, look, where's, was, the, where's the humiliation? Well, there's a difference. Where's the people being wheeled out and asked her? I mean, a, a Sky presenter, a Sky News presenter, one of our girls, one of our players, mm. you know, instead of us protecting these girls, we humiliated them. We allowed them but to the be... But the Sky <clears throat> presenter said, do you think that you should be sent for re-education? Do you think you need some education around this? But the minute... The oh, minute, fucking dare he. Well, the minute right. he said that, the minute he said that, the whole, the whole tenor of the thing changed. Really? Everyone, yeah. Everyone then was like, I didn't see it. Well, I saw, that's what I saw. Everyone going, why do, who, who does this guy think he is yeah. to, uh, to talk to, you know, to talk yeah. about re-education? And the answer was, uh, was so good to his question when she said, um, you know, we don't need any re-education. We're, we're, we're up to, and I think like there's an interesting thing about this, and I want to like we're talking about this because of what happened on New Year's Day, and as you said, the song Celtic Symphony was played, and it may or may not have cut out before the chorus. People may have just heard it in their hearts. That's you know, they may have just heard it the way, remember the way Jimmy, Jimmy Carter was only committed adultery in his heart. Do you remember that? If anyone doesn't know who yeah. Jimmy Carter is, he was president in the 1970s, yeah. said he'd committed adultery in his heart many times. So maybe this song wasn't actually played, the offending chorus, but it was played. And there was a bit of a, a, a outrage. But the thing about this song, and I think this is why it's interesting, I think it brings up an awful lot of... In everybody, it brings up an awful lot of contradictions and confusion. And it, I was thinking about this before we came in today because I knew we were talking about it. And it reminds me, uh, and I think the debate is bigger. It's, it's like the debate in some ways about race in America. You know, I think there's an actual, a whole issue here of identity 
and what we are as a country. And sometimes these things, and I was thinking, do you remember when Obama had that, that pastor who came out and said some, uh, what was considered pretty, pretty violent stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah Rev, uh, Jeremiah Wright. And Obama came out and gave this speech about race, which was seen as him distancing himself. But he actually said, I can no more disown Jeremiah Wright than I can disown my white grandmother who told me she used to cross the road when she saw black people approaching her. Yeah. And it was that contra all those all those contradictions that America has with race, I think we have. Well, I think there's three layers to it. The first one is the willingness to attack the girls. You know, the willingness to attack the, yeah. the willingness to attack the soccer fraternity because the soccer fraternity don't control the media, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, the elites, the rugby, the relationship that we see, the, the, the way that's all covered, you know, the boys will be boys stuff. And no, that's all fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, um, you know, criticizing that part of it. Then the second thing I think is the way now that IRA is being used um, uh, as a political tool. So, you know, whenever it emerged that Jack Charlton and the Irish team we're singing Sean says regarding that it was Jack Charlton's favourite song, you know, the lorry load of volunteers going to a border town to attack a police station. Two of them were killed. It was nineteen fifty seven. I'm not sure if nineteen fifty seven was the good IRA or the bad IRA. Perhaps you could you could <laughs> help me help me on that. But the point was this that when that emerged yeah. when that emerged, it was the British tabloid press and Tory MPs who were outraged. And who, who demanded an apology from the FAI and all the rest of it. Not Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. What's the difference? Well, Sinn Féin weren't prominent then. Couldn't use the IRA as a tool to attack them. I mean, now, let's, let's fast forward. You look at, I mean, I don't vote for Sinn Féin, but you, you look at, nor did I ever support the IRA. I abhor the taking of human life. But you look at Mary Lou now, Mary Lou, they've decided as a tactic with, you know, the problems with homelessness, you know, the, the, the really serious problem which is going to explode of housing, mm. problems with the health service, you know, the fact that we see money being drained constantly to the top, you know, as we see in many other societies, you know, we're obviously not at UK levels yet or at American levels, but inequality is starting to prosper. It's starting to bed down. And so... The device that's been seized on now is to attack Mary Lou about the IRA. It's straight from the loyalism playbook in the north. The Belfast newsletter does this all the time. I mean, every you you can't you can't look at a tweet or you can't listen to a DUP politician. Now, instead of politics, it's lest we forget, lest we forget that terrible atrocity what the IRA did that day, and they shot a man in the face, and they you know they they burned a house down, and they they blew up people and all the rest of the horrific atrocities that occurred every day. I mean, there's a, there's a TD, Neil Richmond. And I, I just noticed one day that he said, lest we forget about an IRA incident. And I checked his date of birth. He wasn't even born when it happened. But how can you, how can you forget something that you didn't experience in the first place? My point being that now Mary Lou cannot do an interview without it being said, do you condemn the IRA atrocity in 1973 when they say, do you condemn this? And it reminds me of the great Lyndon B. Johnson story about the time that he was struggling in his Senate race. And he said to his staffers, he said, we are going to say 
that my opponent fucks pigs. And the staffer said to Lynch, but I mean, he doesn't fuck pigs. Well, he'll have, he'll have a hell of a job explaining that he doesn't. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> and, and so what we see now is this very strange gymnastics where, you know, Leo Faragker and Michal Martin were sort of climbing over each other to get celebrating the good IRA, Michael Collins and his team mm. of assassins, all of that stuff. And and yet, you know, and this is this is something I think we talked about, Caroline Elkins, you know, the Harvard historian who's yeah. done a, a master work, she's a Pulitzer Prize winner, she's done a master work on the murder machine that was the British Empire. It's called A Legacy of Violence, A History of the British Empire. And the New Yorker gave it its sort of historical book of the year. And, you know, apart from the way they murdered, enslaved, impoverished, you know, the, the theft of land, all those sorts of things. And then they left the people there to pick up the pieces. When they eventually pulled out, they left them to pick up the pieces. But alongside that, there was a ruthless control of the media and a propaganda. And the propaganda that they used in the North was this. And Elkins illustrates this with meticulous research. The Northern Catholic is a genocidal savage. They'd done all this with the, with the Southern Catholic a mm. hundred years before this. The Northern Catholic is a genocidal savage interested in sectarian warfare. You know, we're here to keep the peace. We're here to keep the peace. And under cover of that narrative, I mean, the, the whole streets were burned out in Belfast. Detention camps were set up. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and it's remarkable how successful they've been at sort of covering over all of that until recently. And I think social media has made a big difference. But my son, Rory, he's 23 years of age now. And about three years ago, we were talking about a bit about the past. And I was saying, like, you know, your grandfather was, he was interned for four years. And he said, he said what do you mean? I said, like, your grandfather, he was, you know, he was in a long cash detention camp for four years. He says, what, the, what did he do? I said, well, he wasn't charged with anything or tried. He said, fuck off. Mm. I said, no, 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 no. He was, he was there for four years. I said, ask, ask, ask your granny, you know. He says, fuck off, you're pulling my leg. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's Putin-era stuff. And we had a situation in the North where 
I mean, I, I lived through it. I saw it all happening. But, you know, but, you, you, the, the, the soldiers used us as a playground. They could shoot whoever they liked. They weren't charged. They weren't prosecuted with anything. And then the cover story always was we were being attacked by these fucking Catholic savages who are interested in sectarian warfare. And there's only one good Catholic in the North, John Hume. He's the only good Catholic in the North. The rest of them are fucking savages. And we're living in these communities. And we're like, it, it, it's... It was just a lie. But it's a really it, dishonest fallacy. And it's, it's sort of, you see it being peddled down here now by the main parties. You know, and when you think of the, 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 the similarities, like the Brits pulled out of here because of the War of Independence, which was a savage battle, 1919 to 1921. That was the good IRA, I'm told. All the murders, you know, the disappearances of bodies into bogs, you know, that turned into the Civil War where 400 civilians were killed, including many young children. The anti-treaty IRA went on a bombing campaign of their opponents' family homes, killing countless people. You know, that was the good IRA, no doubt. But when the British pulled out, we were left to sort out the pieces in the South. Mm. You, you pick up the pieces. And that's exactly what's happening in the North now. We'll leave you to pick up the pieces. You know, we've just got a benign interest in this. After all the damage that was done... My interest, See, my think, interest yeah. in is, is not rewriting the past, is telling the truth about the past. But the past is always being rewritten or looked through different filters. Like people, you know, I remember when people give out about revisionism. Uh, and now it's like, well, you know, I look at it and go, well, there's, I hear people talking about uh, the North. And I'm not talking about people who grew up in the North. And I accept that. And I would be coming from a... From and this is why I think this is interesting because I think we're, we're, everyone is should be being challenged about this a bit. And I am coming from from a totally what you would consider a total free state point of view. You know, you would. You know, don't start me. Yeah, I just <laughs> let it, let that go for a minute. But I have to accept there are certain things I will. I you know I have to kind of say right. I need to think again about how I, whilst there are certain things I won't change my beliefs in, like I don't, I can never, I've read that Fintan O'Toole piece and I thought, yeah, I, I agree with, I, I understand, I, that's, that's how I feel about that. And the reason I feel about that, it doesn't mean that I don't feel that there wasn't uh, another, uh, there wasn't a, a British government element, there wasn't another element too, but this was Irish nationalism. This was done in the name of Irish nationalism. And as somebody who's coming from an Irish nationalist tradition in the broadest sense, that's the stuff you have to take responsibility for. Not, not, don't disagree with that, but he wrote that with glee in the style of a Tarantino script. Yeah, no, that, He was but, having fun. He was getting backslapped. The, the establishment said, wonderful from Fintan, wonderful. I tell you, for a guy, who, for a guy who's used all over the world, as a filter, you know, as as a, as a as a sort of a commentator on what's what's happening in Ireland, he knows fuck all about the North. That piece enraged me, you know. And I saw Stephen Travers and many victims. Stephen Travers was one of the victims of the Miami Shoban massacre. Mm. That was a black operation by 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 the security forces in the North. The idea was the Miami Shoban were coming to the border. They were stopped by what they thought was an army patrol. It was a mixture of. Soldiers serving soldiers and UVF paramilitaries. Yeah. The idea was they would plant a bomb covertly on the bus while they'd had them out of the bus searching them and asking them questions. Once the bus had driven off, the bomb would go off and the IRA would get the blame for the atrocity. 
the bomb went off prematurely while they still had the men out on the road. Mm. Two of the attackers were blown up in their own bomb and then they gunned. They gunned the band to death. Yeah. And Stephen Travers only survived because they thought he was dead under a body. Stephen Travers responded to Fenton O'Toole's tweet or his, his piece with the most powerful tweet about how dare you use us as political footballs in the game that you're playing, people who have no interest in victims, people who have no interest in the suffering that we've had over the years. No, you know, and I think the that, difficulties yeah. that we've had for you to gratuitously, essentially what he said was for you to gratuitously write a column like that about us for your purposes and to get your back slapped by the editor of the Irish Times and by the establishment and say, there he is, Fintan O'Toole, got the right way of things again when he knows fuck all about it. But I think, and I think that's, uh, I, I, I think that's, a, I, I agree with that in the sense that I think there is a need to, um, there is a need to understand that, like, okay, whatever we feel about this here, right, whatever we felt about it, uh, and as as somebody growing up as, as a kid during the Troubles and whatever you felt about it, there is a different experience in the North that you have to acknowledge. And there is also a huge amount more, and a friend of mine who's a nationalist says this, like, geez, are you guys in the South getting worked up about this shit again? You know what I mean? Oh, oh correct. When, correct. when, when all this, all the stuff we've actually there's nothing happening in the north now. Yeah, there's really nothing. So, like, <laughs> including politically. <laughs> yeah, well, that, well, there is but that. There's nothing yeah, happening. Yeah. But I mean, the, it's 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 so peaceful. It's unbelievable. So, whereas down here you might get the impression. Well, that no, but also, but this is what I'm talking about revision because I also look at at, I, and this is where everyone's contradictions come because I think in one way the Celtic Symphony, and I think Jesus Christ, if you're gonna have. A war. If you're going to st- die on a hill, die on a hill for die on a hill for something with a bit more fucking cultural culturally significant than a wolf tone song. No, I, right? I, I have a different way of putting it. Yeah. Die for something honest, not something not dishonest like, like that, Celtic which, which, no, which is being used for dishonest. Purposes. Yeah, no, that's that's. And you true. said to me, you said to me about me. I can't let that pass. You said about you know you, I would call you a free stater. Hmm. My, <laughs> you, you wouldn't let my, that pass. My, my, my late father had a great line about this. I, I was on this Sunday again, and it, see, I realised it was getting a bit of traction. You know, if I said free stater, but the mentally, see, yeah. I was calling O'Rourke a free stater. He hated that, you see. And uh, I'd be saying free state. My father said to me, and we didn't really chat that much or anything, mm-hmm. but we were. I had just played a game for Dungiven the following Sunday, and we were in the club having a pint. You see, and he says to me, son, he says. Um, he says, don't be so hard on the free staters. You know, some of them are nearly as Irish as we are. <laughs> but I think the thing is, you're absolutely correct. See, the troubles was emotion. It was anger, fear. Nothing was really thought through. Mm-hmm. It was just this situation that was on in on top of you, like our house was turned upside down every night. You know, it was a typical experience. You know, 2,000 men are taken away to detention camps in a very small country where the, popul- the Catholic population was probably only about, at that point in time, maybe 500,000, 600,000 people. So 2,000 men taken away over that sort of four-year period. You know, you think of the disruption of that alone. I mean, in Dungiven, four or five school teachers were taken. I mean, my my uncle Yunan, who was a dairy footballer, a St. Columns scholar, he's in the notorious H-block gulag for seven years for arson. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but the beatings, his hips were destroyed. His life was destroyed. He never mm-hmm. really recovered from it, you know, and... and uh, 
And like so many of, of, of the boys, you know, just didn't recover. Like my cousin Gary worked as a butcher in McCluskey's shop in the town. McCluskey's butcher shop. Mm. Liam McCluskey was one of the hunger strikers. Went blind at the end. Survived. At the bitter end, his life was saved. Kevin Lynch, our senior hurling captain, died on hunger strike, 25 years of age. Like, we were in the middle of this. Yeah. There wasn't like, how could you possibly understand that from an outside perspective? You can't, because your own life. Yeah, you, no, I, I know that. and But I also think then, surely the people who were, okay, and this is now maybe presumptuous, but the people who were there in the middle of it, surely they must look at some, and forget about the people seeing it, but like the idea that there would be people 20-year-olds going around glorifying the violence that actually caused so much damage to them. Nobody see that. You know what I mean? Why would you want... Like, that's... To me, it's like... You know, to me, it's it's like it's like the armchair generals. It's like, you know, you always find that the people who are most fucking hawkish are the people who've never actually been to war. You look even yeah. in America... Like, <laughs> like, like Leo, Leo Varadkar celebrating Michael Collins. Yeah. Like, well, like, the Cole, like the war in, so, the war in Iraq. Like, it was Donald yeah. Rumsfeld saying, yeah, let's yeah. fucking shock and awe. And yeah. Colin Powell, who was yeah. a soldier... Now he ended up going along with it, but he was the one saying this is this is crazy because he knew what war was like. And yet, like just what I'm talking about when I come back to the point about revisionism, that there's a revisionism now where people want to kind of say this is this was a this was a kind of a glorious a glorious war. Well nobody think I, I don't think anybody thinks it was a glorious war. All war is insane. It's horrific. I mean, Declan Bates and he played in the dairy team, I and mean, his uncle made a bomb and blew himself up in it yeah. prematurely. You know, these people were drawn into things that in a million years they wouldn't have been drawn into. Yeah. You know, just like the people of, of the South. You know, whenever, whenever the War of Independence came along, you know, some people said, hold on, I'm opposed to violence. I'm not getting involved in this. Mm. You know, I'd rather have a John Hume character here to see if there's some way that we could possibly negotiate something. Other yeah. people say, fuck that. I mean... Like, One of the most potent pieces of archive footage from the North was the day after Bloody Sunday. So 14 civilians are murdered. Reginald Maudling stands up in the House of Commons the next day, the Home Secretary, and he says that the IRA had fired on the paratroopers and they targeted only IRA men when they fired back on them. Bernadette Devlin, our firebrand you know, MP, the youngest ever MP at that point, came down across the benches in the House of Commons and slapped him in the face, so enraged was she by the mm. lies that he had told because she'd been there. That same day, archive footage showed young men queued around the block to join the IRA. And Eamon McDermott, a good friend of mine who was in H-Block for a long time, he was the doctor's son, Dr McDermott's son, and he said that he went in, he was one of those young men, and they said to him, son, this is not for Dr. Sons, like, this is not for you. You're St. Columns boy, you have a great education, all the rest of it, this is not for you. Three things will happen. You'll go on the run, you'll be shot dead, or you'll spend your life in prison. They're your only alternatives. Mm. Seven times he went back until eventually he was accepted. And that was a very common thing. They were oversubscribed. People were enraged. You talk, I mean, people think about John Hume. What the people of Derry will tell you is this. Whenever the British came in to clear a civil rights demonstration in 1971, John Hume went to the front. He said, look, we're, we're going to have peaceful resistance. He went to the front of the group and he, as he did, he, you know, brilliant, historic, don't get me wrong, you know, I have the greatest respect for John Hume and for what he tried to do. But it was a losing battle. 
there was too much going on. There was too much rage. There was too much oppression. And the water cannon, the army water cannon, him off off the road, mm. splattered him against the wall, handcuffed him, threw him, threw him in the back of a Saracen and drove him off. And that was a sign to the people of Derry. There's only fucking one way here, boys. Regrettable though it may be. You know, naming McCann's immortal phrase. All those wee women who were going to Mass every Sunday and voting religiously for John Hume in the elections, they were the ones hiding the guns under the bed. Thanks for listening to Free State. That was the first part of a two-part podcast, Ua Up With Ra. The second part can be heard soon wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.